Hello and welcome to episode 57 of The Crux of the Matter, part two of our discussion on the book Preaching Better Practical Suggestions for Homilists. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott. How are you today? Well, it's a little bit overcast down here in Orange County. Wow. That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. But it's only, you know, nine in the morning. And so I think it kind of burns up. I'm still figuring out what the weather patterns are here. Right. And and there aren't a whole lot in terms of actual patterns. So, no, there's not uh, a lot of change. Not a lot of change. So any little change is worth commenting on. There you go. Well, things are things are well here. It's uh, it's nice. I'm uh, going to my kids' musical today. My wife Catherine is directing their uh, musical, The Peter Pan. So, uh, leaving in about an hour for that, something like that. That's always uh, that's always fun. That's a good yeah, time. I fun. really don't think I could even count how many performances that I have been to of either my kids or of shows that Catherine has directed. I'm sure that it is. Well over a hundred. <laughs> it's a lot. It's got but to be who's lie. counting? But who's counting exactly? Oh uh, yeah. So, uh, what are you teaching, or what are you working on teaching? Anything? Well, as you know, uh, but the listeners may not know, um, we're out of school. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a little tickle in my throat there. Uh, so school's out. So I'm not officially teaching anything right now. But um, I'm getting ready. I'm spending part of May getting ready not to teach. I, I teach summer class. I teach bioethics in July and August. But I'm not getting ready to do that. What I'm getting ready to do is a pastor's conference I'm going to speak at in October. Ah. And, uh, yeah, and I've got a couple of topics there. I'm going to do transgender, but I'm also going to talk about digital media and the effect that it has on us and, and the relationship between that and being a pastor. So Interesting. I'm, Doing some reading and getting ready. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of I did a Good Shepherd Institute paper a couple of years ago on basically how our brain is changing because of our use of digital media, or you know, the pervasive use of digital media, sure. and what effects that might have for preaching and youth ministry and all the rest. Interesting. Yeah, so that gonna, should be fun. Yeah, I'm just going to turn that paper into a three-hour presentation. So anyway, I'm, that's what I'm getting ready to teach. What getting about ready you? to teach? Um, while I'm uh, thinking on this, Scott, will you uh, do me a favor and verify one that uh, your end is recording, and it then is. and then like, uh, and then make sure that you put that file into Dropbox because I'm getting a little bit of like scratchiness or something on your end. Um, it's not the call because I can see that our our call quality is really good, so it's it's like interference from your microphone or something. I don't know. So uh, and I don't know if it'll be better on your recording, but. Make sure you put it in Dropbox and uh, okay. and we can continue from there or at least try. Okay. Well, I am um, I am working – I am preparing to teach a, a D-Min class next month in Fort Wayne at the seminary. And the title of the class is Pastoral Renewal and Spiritual Growth. And this is a class I taught about hmm, maybe four years ago, something like that. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. I really, I really enjoyed it. And so I, and so uh, they had a kind of a cancellation, and so I ended up doing it relatively short notice. Um, but of course, they've completely changed their 
their kind of teaching methodology from an intensive format to a hybrid format, which means a bunch of it is online, which means I might as well have started over. So that's very exciting. I'm trying to understand uh, Moodle, which is the system that they use and all kinds of things. That's what I've been working on a lot this week. Um, and as well as the normal pastor stuff going on. But we are here to talk about preaching and particularly the um, second half of this book, Preaching Better, Practical Suggestions for Homilists by Ken Untener. Uh, if uh, our dear listeners did not hear the last um, the last podcast, I would urge you to do so, which you may find at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 56. And uh, we kind of started our uh, started our talk on that. And so I thought we'd, we'd uh, try to continue this along the way and and uh, look more or less at the second half of the book, um, starting in chapter 15. How long are your sermons usually, Scott? Do you know? Um, yeah, I know. Um, they do vary. Um, but uh, I would say, like when I'm preaching in a church, I would say they're, they're close to 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. Give or take a minute on either side. And when it, obviously I'm preaching in chapel here at Concordia, it's a lot shorter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my sermons... Um, tend a little shorter than that, more in the 10 to 12 minute range, um, sometimes even less than 10. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say nine to 12 or 13 would be pretty, pretty typical for me. Is that about the length of sermons that you grew up with? No, I think my pastor, my memory of my pastor growing up was that they were about 20 minutes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what he preached. And yeah. That was in a day when, you know, we did my church then, and I don't, I still think that church doesn't have weekly communion. And so, um, you know, it didn't seem to bother anybody. And I, I had a very dynamic preacher as a pastor when I was growing up. And so, you know, it didn't, I, I can remember enjoying his sermons at age 12, you know, hmm. as, as a young lad. Interesting. So I, I don't think it was too long. Yeah. The, you know, all the scenarios. Well, that's cool. Yeah, my my pastor, um, both the pastors, I had, I had a couple different pastors, and the two pastors that I remember uh, the best just in terms of preaching and preaching length, uh, the first was named Dale Ness, and the second was named Connor Corcoran. And um, Pastor Ness, his sermons were long, Scott. They were long. You mean Me, like half hour long? Uh, like 40 minutes long. Okay. And, yeah, that's uh, long for a Lutheran church. That is. and But he was extremely energetic, at least in my memory. I can remember quite vividly sitting in the back back pew with my buddies in, you know, fifth grade or whatever, timing the sermons and seeing how long they were because it was kind of crazy. Probably wasn't very pious on our part. But, uh, you know, far be it from a sixth grade boy to be anything but pious. Yeah. So. So in this in this chapter, he kind of um, he goes he goes at this question and and I'm not even sure how to answer that question of length, at least from his perspective. I guess I would say long enough, but no longer. <laughs> yeah. Something. And, you, and, you know, Catholic. Aren't known for Catholic preachers aren't known for long sermons. You know, That's true. You know, you know, if this was like an evangelical, I have a friend who's a Baptist pastor, right? And he saw one time that on on Facebook, we Lutherans were discussing sermon length, right? And we were saying things like fifteen minutes, and I think someone said, "Oh, eight to 10. 
and my Baptist pastor friend told me, he says, I can't even open my Bible in eight minutes. You know, it takes, it, <laughs> so, 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 you know, yeah. It, so, I mean, I think in a certain, some context, very accustomed to being more expository with the pastor pre-teaching Bible verses, you know, line by line. Hmm. And, uh, but Catholic preachers aren't known for that. I mean, they're known for shorter sermons. So it was very interesting to see that, you know, our sermons don't fall very far out of the ballpark from what I got the you know impression from him. He was saying that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, a 15 minute sermon or a two minute sermon. And I, I can't imagine, you know, but I, again, if I'm in a Catholic parish that has, you know, 5,000 members, um, and the mass takes up, you know, I mean, the, the service of the sacrament takes up a significant length of time because right. really when you're talking about length of sermon, you really have to talk about length of the whole service. Right. Yeah. It's all kind of, it's definitely interconnected. No it, doubt it, about that. It, it, in, in the laity's minds, I find the length of the whole service is, is really the question. They'll, hmm. they'll tolerate a 40 minute sermon. If the service doesn't go more than an hour, <laughs> right? You know, right? I think, I think, if the sermon's any good, hmm. well, and that's, uh, I don't know. I think that's, I think that for me, that is why my sermons have become shorter, is because we have the, we have the Eucharist every Sunday, every service, and and just in terms of uh, just good old fashioned scheduling and stuff, the ser- the service needs to be. About an hour, an hour and 10 minutes is really the outside length that the sermon could be uh, or the service can be. And and that kind of means 15 minutes is the absolute longest that it can be. Um, so that does sort of change things. I wonder in in Lutheran or even in in Protestant preaching, let's say, if that is why Protestant sermons basically are longer. Is because I, they don't have anything else going on in the service typically. I think so. I, I, I really do. I think that's a big part of it. And I know that in my church in Elmhurst, Illinois, we did have kind of an issue with service length at times. And, and in part, that was because we had a comparatively short communion rail. And that meant right. that the, the tables, you know, it just took, it, I would say. Hmm longer yeah. than I've, I've been at your church. And so I know how that works. And, and you have, you can fit many more people in one, one table. Oh, it helps uh, tremendously. Rail. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, yeah. I mean, just in the more I'm looking at this chapter, he really, um, he really pushes short sermons. Yeah. I mean, that is essentially his answers that there's nothing wrong with short sermons. And, and I, I guess I would also add, the length of my sermons are in inverse proportion to the amount of time I've spent on them, typically. So, so the more time I spend on the sermon, generally speaking, the less, the shorter it is. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So uh, what's the, I, I don't remember if it was Chesterton or I, I don't remember who said it, but it was kind of in writing a letter and the, and the, the, the line was basically, I'm sorry, I don't have time to write you a short letter. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and, right. That, and, that, and I do feel like that's kind of the same, that's kind of the same thing. Now, why, I, I am fascinated by, by kind of what, what is happening in a sermon that would make a, a, a Baptist preacher or Protestant preacher have a sermon go on for 30 or 50 or 60 minutes? What are they doing in a sermon that we don't? 
Well, do you I know. Do yeah, I do. I mean, I, I grew up my my uh, my mother's side of the family are all Baptists, and and my mom, you know, I mean, I can I went to plenty of of non-denom or Pentecostal and Baptist services in my growing up years. Okay, and I would say from that experience that um, they spend a lot more time teaching from the pulpit. Okay, so it's it's much more like what we would call a Bible class, where the pastor is 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 really expositive um, and not sort of working with the law gospel dynamics so much. So they, they may take a, a theme or a topic or um, a, if they're if they're using a specific passage and they just unpack it for forty minutes. And that's something that we do too. But we just don't do it from the pulpit, right? Oh, we do it in a different setting. Yeah, right, right. And my. I don't know. I mean, my Bible classes are are kind of, uh, I don't know, they're sort of a dog and pony show. They're kind of that uh, much more, obviously, they're class, they're teachy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that does mean that we have a different sort of, um, we have a different goal mm-hmm. in, in preaching that that is not simply the imparting of information. You know, I had a, I had a friend in... Uh, I don't remember when this came up, but it was essentially the line, you know, every sermon is an absolution. So, right. so that the sermon is performative, that it's actually doing something. It's not just imparting information. Uh, and, that, and that does change kind of your, that changes your context, that changes how you think about what, what you're saying and why you're saying it. It makes it so that it's much more... Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm not even quite sure how to put it. It's like the words are more important because something's actually going on. It's not just imparting information. Right. I might be able to absolve you in eight minutes, but I might not be able to do justice to Romans 5 in eight minutes. Right. Exactly. Teacher. See what yeah. I'm saying? I, exactly. I, I can't take a passage from one of the epistles or even one of the gospels and, and exposit it well. Right. The whole thing kind of start to finish. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, not going to happen. You, you're just no. So, although I mean, you know, although we do, I mean, obviously, when you're preaching, even though the goal is, I agree with you. I think the goal is to is to absolve the hearer, prepare them for the supper. Right. But I think that um, you know, but we still do it textually. I mean, we still use the text of the day, and uh, at least ideally, we do. And we don't just simply, you know, use a. Um, uh, an unrelated message to, to perform that. Uh, sure. Solution. Well, and a lot uh, of the things in the chapters that follow this, I think, are essentially this is how you actually make it a short sermon that has good mm-hmm. good content. So he's got the sidebar, which was um, similar in some respects to the introduction. You remember, don't make the introduction so good that nobody cares about the rest of it. Well, the sidebar is kind of don't send people down a rabbit trail that they can't get back out of so that that Absolutely. So, so that people's minds are essentially distracted from um, uh, from from being able to listen because you've you know, you brought up something so bizarre or so uh, right. So avant garde even yeah. Yeah, or mm-hmm. disconnected something. So so they have to be carefully crafted to get and i've always found that the hardest thing about about illustrations mm-hmm. is that i've always i've always felt like illustrations just feel they just feel artificial like they're just dropped in they're dropped in and this is kind of the all right this is the personal fluff this is the this is the people's stuff 
And and I've got to say it in order to keep people's attention, but eventually I'm going to have to get back to the more important stuff. And that's that's problematic. Now, yeah. I do think illustrations can can work and can be done in a way that's effective, but they are, and maybe that's just a limitation on my part, but I find them very hard to fit in. And what's more, there are illustrations that you can use from the Bible Mm-hmm. And there are illustrations you can use from kind of contemporary culture. And uh, and uh, I always think of that too, just in terms of a part of what we're preaching is we're preaching, we're preaching the church, we're, tr- we're preaching the life of God. And that is a different culture mm-hmm. than the culture of the world. And, and the examples, the illustrations, all the stuff that we do to some degree has to has to actually reflect that culture that we're trying to pass on. And if it doesn't, is it really there or should it be there? You want to elevate the hearer for sure. For me, I think that it often has to do with using the difference between using concrete language and abstract language. Hmm. Okay. You know what I'm saying is that sometimes um, our sermon, and I'm not talking even about using illustrations, how can we how can we speak in a way that isn't be speaking it anywhere? I can be speaking it any place, any time. Now, in a certain sense, the term sermon is timeless. The gospel right. is timeless, right? You know, but but there there but but, but there has to. I feel, that, or at least in my struggle when I preach, is, is I I want there to be some kind of concreteness. I want to be using. I want to be talking about things that are not just dogmatic, but that are you know. That are visceral in some way. Um, that are charismatic, almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And I think that I think that sometimes preaching, in my experience, it becomes abstraction, um, and and that can happen whether you're using illustrations or not. The illustration can be an abstraction, sure. um, you know, or it can be a concrete thing that that makes. Oh, I get what you're saying. You know, I understand what you're saying. Now. I, you know, if if done well, and and I don't I don't claim to do it well, but I think that it can be done. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, and in the same way with illustration with sidebars, um, he's got a nice chapter on jargon. Right. That's and, what I'm. That's partly what I'm getting at. Yeah, and the, and and basically his his answer to that is don't, <laughs> yeah. don't use jargon. Yeah. Absolutely. I- I think we fall into cliches. We fall yep. into um, just sort of triteness. You right. know, the, the, the language may be accurate. It may be true. It may be orthodox and right. you know, sound in every way. So this is what's difficult is how do you make it sound, but also you know, not just filled with the you know, terminology we pick up from seminary or along the way. Right, sort of fluffy religious terms. Because jargon yeah. can mean, on the one hand, it can mean things that are... Uh, that are sort of unique to a particular field, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, there's lots of computer jargon. You can talk mm-hmm. about uh, uh, you know, every acronym known as TCPIP or, or, you know, whatever. You pick an acronym and that's and that's basically jargon. Of course, there's tons of theological jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what I think is difficult is determining what is jargon to one person is not jargon to another. Um at least not always. And so how do you no, kind no, of I mean, find that distinction or find that line? That is not easy. Well, and you know your congregation. I mean, you know right. if, if they're familiar with 
terminology. You know, I mean, like, for example, you know, if you're preaching and you, you start to just kind of wax on the, 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 the right hand kingdom. Well, you know, maybe you need to explain that. Maybe you don't. But, right. you know, in, 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 in plenty of places that would require explanation and wouldn't require it wouldn't be great to just simply talk well in the, you know the luther talks about the two kingdom theory right i mean that, that's all perfectly great and you can bring that into a sermon but i think it's going to depend a little bit on the parish on oh, how much certainly explication that's going to require right. and whether well or not is, you even yeah how well is this how well has the congregation been catechized but and and of course also recognizing you're you're always going to have a range of, of understanding. Your elders mm-hmm. are not going to be at the same catechetical level as the visitor. And how do you preach in such a way so child. that our child? Yeah. How do you preach in such a way so that the elder and the child are both receiving Christ in the in the midst? Well, a lot of that has to do with um, a lot of that has to do with simplicity, not simplistic but simplicity. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I know this is a, this is a whole nother topic, but, but good design is simple. Bad design is complex. Good sermons are simple. Bad sermons are complex. You got too many topics. You're trying to do too many things. You got too much jargon, too many illustrations. It's just over stuffed along the way. And that's why, in the preparation phase of writing a sermon, kind of getting to the point is so is so hard, but so critical. If I don't know where I'm going, if I don't have a point, then I'm just going to keep writing until I reach a thousand words. And then I'm going to say, come to the Eucharist and put an amen on it. And, and some of that is, we have to admit, cultural. Because sure. have you ever, I mean, if you, you've looked at sermons from, say, the 18th century, um, you know, Lutheran sermons and otherwise. I'm teaching church history recently. I was looking at some sermons from George Whitfield, who was right. oh, yeah. renowned for being a great preacher. But the sermons that I looked at were inscrutable. They were incomprehensible. <laughs> they were so abstract. I couldn't believe it. I, I was actually astonished um, at, at how abstract they were and how um, Byzantine they were. And right. I thought, how in the world did this guy get the reputation? I, and I, it just, I think in part, it's just that was an oral, that was a, a, a culture that was able to sit and listen to 40 minutes of, of very dogmatic exposition. I mean, it's Calvinist, but it was very, dog, right. it was very doctrinaire, very doctrinal. Right. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, the um, same could but, be said of Jonathan Edwards sermons. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and probably if you were, you know, I haven't done this, but probably sermons of Chemnitz or something, you know, one sure. of the you know, from the golden age of Lutheran orthodoxy, I'm sure the sermons were very, very um, elaborate. Um, and you can't just simply translate or trans, you know, take one from that time and place. And, just, and maybe they didn't work great then. You know, they weren't right. best then. Right, right. Um, but, but certainly today with people's shorter attention spans, people um, being less trained to listen to oration. Hmm. Um you know, I think that that's comes. I, I've been reading a lot about how um, uh, the digital media and how our screen culture has changed our ability to listen to lengthy discourse. And, sure. Uh, so so oh, that's in my yeah. mind. Right yeah, now. it's kind of in your mind right now. Yeah, that's a, a and and I think of uh, again twenty years ago when we were in seminary, um, learning learning that basically the uh, 
uh, at that point. You know, did you ever read any of Buttrick's stuff? You know, I like, remember um, homiletic, it, but I don't. For remember. example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Absolutely. he's got this this concept of basically uh, a concept, as I remember it, and and if I am dead wrong on this, I would encourage our listeners to uh, please write in and correct us. Feedback at the feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. Um, and I remember his his saying essentially that a concept, an idea, really uh, is worth is good for about three minutes. So if you so if you have a ten minute sermon, you can't have any more than three concepts. Now uh, you know, and and you can extrapolate out from there. Now Untener argues pretty strongly that you should you should never have three concepts. You should have one. You should have one for him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he kind of, and and that was one of the questions that I that I had in reading this is I'm not sure how our understanding of law and gospel kind of fits with that and what and how that would relate to the movement of um of condemnation and forgiveness and kind of all of that is that one concept I mean that's it's it's hard for me to think of a of a sermon that has one concept. Mm-hmm because of that. Now, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I don't entirely understand how that, uh, what he means by a uh, one pearl (laughs) along the way. But that's, but that's definitely a big, uh, a big part of it. Well, I don't think he has sort of the, the binary of law gospel. Oh, no, definitely not. So I think for him, you could have a perfectly fine sermon. And the one nugget is just a law point (laughs) from our perspective. Right. Um, right. And whereas we would feel, well, that that's unbalanced. That needs then to have, you know, the gospel. <laughs> you know? Right. But we, we, we might be comfortable with the sermon that has virtually no law and has, right. you know. A funeral it, sermon, for example. Exactly. Exactly. I don't feel like I need to hammer much the law because the casket's sitting right there. Yep. Exactly. Preaching the law. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, we, we come at this as Lutheran confessional Lutherans with an automatically built in binary. So yeah. two, two, uh, there are twofold concepts, you know, if we don't want to say two separate. Yeah, I don't concepts. know. And that's real. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm most interested in studying in my, in my demon work at Aquinas is just going to be, how do these other traditions look at long gospel? Or, or even understand the role of the sacraments. I mean, when I think sacramental, I think, I, I mean, I think gospel. Um, mm-hmm. Is that kind of the the presumption? Does the do the sacraments uh, serve a um, a gospel purpose? I'm not even quite sure what to call it beyond that. But uh, but yeah, there's a there's an awful lot there. If our listen, if if you are listening to this, and and you have not bought this book. Uh, as soon as we're done, go and buy it. It really is a great. You faded, you faded uh, it's not. I can't hear. Oh, it, yeah. If you're if you're listening to this and you haven't bought this book, as soon as we're done, buy it because it is really a great book. It is worth it is worth the ten bucks or fifteen bucks or whatever you're going to pay to get it. Because I have a, uh, it, it's really got me thinking about a lot of things and especially about the idea of crafting a sermon and not and not just plunking out the words. So, so that's been, uh, that's been good. That's been very good. Yeah. Well, my friend, it's about that time. Uh, what's bringing you joy this week? Pray tell. Well, this ties into the, what I'm teaching segment. And I mentioned that I'm getting ready for this pastor's conference where I'll talk about digital media and their effect on us. 
Um, I want to recommend a book to people. Uh, it's, uh, it's called The Hidden Power of Electronic Culture, How Media Shapes Faith, the Gospel, and the Church by a guy named Shane Hips. Now, he, he comes at this. He's a postmodern guy, and, you know, he's part of this emerging church movement. And, you know, so he, he's Mennonite. So, you know, I mean, so there are many, many aspects to his approach that I theologically don't agree with. But I think that he does a great job of summarizing the points of, um, how, well, just simply how media shapes our brains and changes hmm. how we, not just what we think about, but how we think and our ability to think, our capacity to think right. in, cer- in certain ways that we think in images and, and we think in stories and, you know, because we're shaped by, in a, you know, heavily by visual media. And I think that that's true of our culture. I don't know if it's necessarily true of me and you. Me and you are very print oriented. We're still very yep. bookish. Yep. But I, yep. I think many in our culture are more. The, the, it's not just about shortened attention spans. It's actually about a you know the brain actually changes by according to how you use it right. physically. Physically changes. Yeah. And there you know so so he he summarizes these arguments for the start with Marshall McLuhan in the fifties and sixties, Neil Postman in the eighties with amusing ourselves to death. Right. And, and then more recently, a book by a guy named Nicholas Carr called The Shallows, where he talks about the Internet, which McLuhan and Postman sort of foresaw, but didn't know. But didn't. Right. Couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't truly see where that was all going. at the time. No, I mean, they, they did, but they didn't. They didn't. You know, I mean, obviously, they didn't know about the technology in specific. But um, anyway, so I, I highly recommend this. It's, it's an area of study called media ecology media hmm. ecology and it has ramifications for understanding preaching and i think that untner either instinctively understands the same stuff or he's read some of this some of this material because he's making some of the recommendations like sticking with one point like having shorter sermons um because people's ability to think in terms of lengthy sentences with complex paragraphs you can read like that but you can't preach like that right Right. You know, writing for the ear is different than writing for the eye. And and, and so Shane Hips does a good job of summarizing that for me. Hmm. Fun. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that is a that's a great pick. It sounds like a fascinating book. I'm going to try resist buying it, but we'll okay. uh, we'll okay. see next time if I manage to uh, uh, to resist your siren call along the way here. My joy pick is an odd one for this week. And that is, it is a, uh, uh, it is a story, or not, not even a story. That's the wrong term. It's a, um, it's a, a little jingle, a ditty, that was composed by a uh, professor of mine in college. Today, when we're recording, is Friday the thirteenth. And uh, my wife and I both had a, uh, a wonderful professor in college named uh, Dr. Theodore Beck, Ted Beck. And Dr. Beck uh, was uh, did did music theory. That was kind of his thing. And I audited music theory. Um, I'm I'm definitely an amateur musician. Catherine's the, my wife is a professional. But one time he came into their class on a Friday the thirteenth and uh, said in a very kind of he had an amazingly dry sense of humor. Came into their class and handed out a sheet of paper and said, "I've written a uh, I've written a song for you." And uh, everybody's kind of looking at him. And, and he just sings it. And uh, it's actually a round. You can, you can try it, dear listener, in your own uh, free time. But it's a, this is your Friday the 13th round. Friday the 13th, Friday the 
15th, stay in your room. Don't take any chances. Ooh, ah, stay in your room tonight. And that's it. <laughs> it's just a silly little piece that he wrote and it's around and it is hilarious and uh, I don't know how many times uh, I have taught that to uh, to uh, kids on Friday the 13th or um, or on uh, uh, or Catherine has taught it but it always brings back memories for me of being in college you know getting painfully close to 30 years ago mm-hmm. and uh, and and what kind of how much those people from that formative period have kind of shaped my, uh, not only my life, but my sense of humor, which is yeah. uh, kind of scary. So that's my pick. I don't even know oh, what great. to call that. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, you know, I'm all about the sharing. So yeah. any any uh, final words for our listeners, my friend? No, no, no. It's great that they listen. <laughs> it's kind of amazing that they listen, <laughs> but we're, uh, we're glad they do. And on that, uh, on that fine note, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.